Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Mr. Movie Club. I am your host, Barney Barnbarn, and welcome to episode two of Mr. Movie Club. Um, I hope you all enjoyed episode one with uh, my friend Mark Seliger. Um, I thought that was a really fun conversation. Today we have another conversation with my friend Sarah Perosic, who has a new film coming out called Hashtag Like. Tell you more about that in a minute. Um, one thing I want to do at the beginning of these, um, I'm going to start doing now and hopefully every week, is have a little segment where I tell you what I'm watching. Now, the show is called Mr. Movie Club, but I think I've explained this before. To me, movies aren't just cinema, even though I love cinema and films. It's any moving image work, creative work. So um, I'll tell you a couple things I'm uh, watching this week. Movie-wise, like actual film-wise, I just watched This Might Get Loud, which was a documentary 10 years ago now with uh, Jack White. (coughs) Excuse me. Jack White, um, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, and uh, The Edge from U2. So it's kind of a a rock geek doc. Um, And it was really fun. Filmmaking wise, some really interesting choices. Uh, well edited and very patient. I kind of wish they showed a little bit more of the three of them getting together and playing music. They did more of them alone and talking about their history. But um, it didn't feel like a like a YouTube or a reality show thing. It felt like a doc, and it was really nicely shot and very um, interesting uh, places to combine the. Three guitar gods stories. So if you're into rock and roll, I, I recommend it. If you're into any or all of those bands. Um, the other thing that I'm really getting into these uh, past few weeks is uh, Big Little Lies, um, the HBO show. Um, starring Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern, and Shay. I'm not, I'm not going to say her name right, but I've always liked this actress, Shailene Woodley who I think is actually, I don't want to say amazing, but she's pretty amazing. Um, I think her performance is really good in this show. Um, the main thing I like about the show is that it's it's very slick. I mean, it looks like the people who worked on it have worked in commercials or whatever, but it's it, it might be too slick for some people, but it's um, it's it's nice to see that sort of high-end sheen on a longer piece as opposed to like a commercial or a branding thing, you know? And it, it's, and also, obviously you have that sheen on a lot of the, what do you call it, the, the comic book films. And it's nice to see it on something that's, you know, a nice ensemble piece that's about acting and about relationships. And um, I just, I think it's a really, a really good show. So I recommend it. Um, I'm only halfway through season one, and I'm very excited about season two with uh, Meryl Streep coming up. I can't wait to see her with those actresses. It does get a little soap opery, but it's really well written. It's really well directed. It's really well edited. That's the other thing I want to say. I saw this one episode, episode five. So if you haven't watched it or if you're going to watch it, pay attention to that episode. I mean... The way they deal with audio and with flashbacks. Again, last week we were talking to my friend Mark about, you know, films that are getting simpler, like Cold War and Roma, where it's a more about kind of the single frame, as, as he said, which I thought was a great term. I like that, too. I like that we're getting away from the handheld faux doc style of filmmaking. This still has that sort of old faux doc style to it. Big Little Lies, but it, it does it really well. So I, I'm glad movies are getting simpler and we're getting back to sort of composed frames. And this film is very well shot and the, the frames are composed, but it's not that. It's not that minimalist, beautiful Kubrick, you know, camera hardly moving or just tracking. 
it's more of that sort of, you know, up to recently contemporary style, but it does it so well. And single frame filmmaking, as Mark liked to call it, uh, I think is great, but there is a thing to montage and uh, mise-en-scene filmmaking, which when it's done well, I think is great too. I think there's a lot of commercials and blockbuster films that are overcut. This is an overcut, but it doesn't shy away from doing, like from speeding up the pace of the editing in service of the story, um, but also making it beautiful. So again, episode five, season one of Big Little Lies, for all my editing friends out there, excellent editing. Just flashbacks, use of sound, taking sound out, just really, really well done. So I recommend it. So um, my guest today is my friend Sarah Perosic. Uh I kind of give her history, so I won't, uh, say too much now. She's been a friend of mine for years. She's worked on music videos. She's worked on documentaries. She's worked on commercials. She's just a really talented, ambitious, I don't think she'd mind my saying that, um, uh, artist. And uh, we talk about her new film, Hashtag Like, which is really, um, when we did the interview, I hadn't seen it, but now I went to a screening at, um, I think I can say this now, at the uh, Brooklyn Film Festival. And it's gotten some great reviews, and it's really quite an accomplishment, a really great young cast. It's not out yet, but when it does come out, you should check it out. But um, we have a great talk. We talk about Michael Cimino. We talk about some tech stuff and, you know, what the digital um, world has done to help independent, lower-budget filmmakers. Um, uh, uh, It's just a, a really fun conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. So I give you Sarah Perosic. Hello, and welcome to Mr. Movie Club. I am your host, Barney Barn Barn, and I am here in the studio with my good friend, Sarah Perosic. Hi, Sarah. Hey, hey. Feels like we're live on air. I know, I love it. There's no editing if we mess anything up. (laughs) Um, I uh, just, you probably just heard the introduction I gave, so you all know Sarah is a director and a friend, and we go way back from MTV days. We both kind of got into the industry in a similar fashion. How did we meet? We met at VideoWorks, I think, right? We met, yes. I was. I came into online a music video, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a promo or promo. something. And uh, I remember you were like this kid who was very smart and in the back room doing technical stuff. That sounds a little, little, little <laughs> dicey. I was an assistant, probably. I was an yes. assistant at Tamsin or Gary or Tamsin, one of those guys. Tamsin, that's who I was working yeah. with. She was amazing, actually. And there were so few women who were uh, online folks back then. Yes, and uh, as we talk, I want to get into the whole, you know, why don't we start by talking about, um, you have a new film that's coming out. Um, It's called Hashtag Like, or do we just say like? We say Hashtag Like. Hashtag Like. Well, actually, I I just premiered it, and I kept having to put down anything I was drinking or holding, so I could do my little hashtag symbol with my fingers, so people get it when I say Hashtag Like. That's great. Because it's the symbol hashtag and then like. Um, yeah, and we just premiered at CineQuest in the Bay Area, and that yeah. was, uh, I feel I, so radio here. Um, it was good, it was good. It was uh, It was weird, because, uh. you know, you, you're, you've had this experience with stuff you've made, I'm sure, but it's uh, probably more analogous to making music, because when you make music, you're in your room, you know, a la Jack White, you're in your little room doing your thing, right. and then suddenly you stand in front of people, and you're very exposed. And right, they're right, seeing, right, right. They're seeing your inner workings. I wrote this also and directed it. So you wrote it, directed it. Was it based off of another, like a book or something? Or no, was this all just, your own? just my own my own invention. Well, it was based, I'll, t- I'll talk about it a little more, but the experience of showing it was weird because suddenly you're public. You know, like right. the way we've worked in the past as filmmakers, we've made things and then it's gone on air and you don't see the reaction of your audience. Right, 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 right. So it's really interesting actually being in a room and hearing this breathing animal of the audience, you know. After working on it for how many years? Because you've self-financed this. This was Kickstarter, right? It was a kind of a combination. So of, I'm, a, I'm assuming it took a while, right? It took probably from from beginning to today, it was like three years, wow. which is, is long in 
people years, but it's short in film years. Yeah. I know yeah. people who are still, you know, like Barry Jenkins took eight years to make his second movie. Right, right. You know, so I think... Uh, Kubrick famously only had like one a decade, you know? Right. So like, and then they have the resources that some independent filmmakers don't have. Yeah, but what you were saying about how the way we started with, it's interesting how in different areas of filmmaking. Now you have all the YouTube kids who probably do stuff really quick. And it's but, out that day. Well, I remember like when we were doing all our MTV VH1 stuff, yeah. like I remember we would finish stuff and like a guy would come pick it up. It was pre-internet, <laughs> remember? And then I would go home and I would watch. I was like, shit, I spelled chili peppers wrong or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But doing something like making a feature film that's something that you wrote, directed, financed, it's got to have... It has to be... I'm assuming it feels very sudden too. Like once you... Like your mm. first, that was your first screening that you just yeah, had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in like a big auditorium? It was like a 500-seater. And That's thank so... God I went like two days before because I saw um, I'm part of this women's film group called the Film Fatals. Uh-huh. And there were two there from Sydney, Australia, who are these kick-ass girls who are like 22 and 24. They had their world premiere. And another one who was from San Francisco, uh, their film was called Suburban Wildlife, which okay. is a great, dreamy, weird little film. And then the other one was Bring Me an Avocado by a, a Bay Area woman. So two nights before I went to see their film at this 500-seat theater, any filmmaker knows you're freaking out about people attending. Right, right, right. They had 20 people in their audience. Oh, wow. I know. It was like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, if you were in Film Forum or The Quad or somewhere in New yeah, York yeah, City, yeah. Y- it would not feel so... You know, cavernous. Right, 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 right. And then the next night I went, and the woman who's from the Bay Area, cast, crew, family, friends, they were all there. So it was filled to the rafters. Right, you know? right, right. So I was like, I don't know how it's going to be. So we had a respectable maybe 100 folks yeah. showed up. But, you know, again. That's, that's a lot of people. For, yeah, I'm and not did from did you do there. a panel? Did you do a question and answer? Did thing? indeed do a Q&A. Um, it was really funny because um, Dakota Lustig, who plays the boy in the film, Rory, um, he's super enthusiastic. And I was like, no, I can't let Rory, Dakota, answer the first question because I won't get a word in edgeways. Right, 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 right. But then halfway through, because uh, it's a heavy subject and we'll yep. get into that. But Dakota reaches across, grabs the microphone and goes, I just want to say, hey, I just want to say <laughs> The ladies did. And a, he mansplained I mean, the whole film. <laughs> yeah. He said, "The women, I mean, the girls, I mean, they just did a great job." Hashtag no. fail. Yeah, no, no he he's adorable and very well intentioned, but it was very funny. He, he sounds like uh, sounds like some kind of people I knew when I was younger. Yes. Um, so tell us, so tell us about the film. So I didn't see the whole thing. I saw a couple trailers and some scenes. Um, I want to say it looks uh, heavy. I think it's a is a. But I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean that in the, the best way. It seems a little, little scary. It seems like a, it's well, you know. Why don't I shut up and uh, stop doing what you're acting? You know, let you tell, tell what's what's the what's the synopsis. It's so fun seeing you, Bonnie. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll give you the log line, and that will kind of set it up for yeah. you. So um, the lead character is Rosie, and we open on meeting Rosie when she's mourning the first anniversary of her younger sister Amelia's death. Um, when she discovers the mysterious man who sexploited and bullied her sister to commit suicide is back online looking for new victims. So when the authorities refuse to get involved, she takes justice into her own hands. So a bit of a vengeance ba, 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 kind of ba. thing. Yeah. It's, um, it's based on... Because I always like to think about making stuff that goes out into the world that has a kind of social justice element to mm-hmm. it. But you, no one likes to be preached to. No one likes that noise. You know, you'll watch a documentary for that. So um, I based it on some backstories of young women who had been bullied at school and committed suicide or had been sexploited. And what I discovered as I was researching it, that there are, you know, millions of kids watching videos about these stories. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, okay, let's, number one, empower a female lead to right. fight back. And then let's also um, maybe hip some parents to what's going on. Because I think a lot of parents don't know about these Social new, media. And, yeah, 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 you know, like kick is a lot of kids have connected with people there and had bad things happen to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the guy in my backstory, which is a true backstory, had actually done this to 75 other kids 
and the it took I think the Greenland or Iceland I can't no it was ne- Netherlands he was found in the Netherlands but it was the Icelandic police that tracked him down because mm. it was all these shady IP addresses that right, they couldn't right, right. follow this is like ten years ago too so technology was a little different but um, and he had been doing this and just getting pictures of kids and bullying them and sexploiting them and then a guy mm. in Britain did it so I was like what it what would it be like instead of watching a movie like The Killing because there are all these dead girls in TV shows as entertainment right. or women being terrified. How about we turn the tables and she terrifies a man? Flip it, yeah. Which which is sort of in that one scene that you showed me, kind of t- t- tips the uh, tips the, the beginning of that. So <laughs> so it's based. So it's a fictionalized uh, story based on some on some true stories, or is it an amalgam of of research you did? Or it's a, well, the backstory is it's the backstory is loosely based on real things that have happened. Different character names, of course. Different character uh-huh. names and everything, and then the the actual film itself is an imagining right. of what would you do if you're a sibling of someone this happened to, and you're roiling with rage, and you've got all this pent up anger. And the authorities didn't do anything. And they don't. They're not doing anything, yeah. and they didn't in a lot of these backstories. And you know, mm. we all remember being a kid and not being listened to. We remember how, you know, when adults would patronize us or put us down. And then right. if you happen to be a girl, maybe even more so. Right, right, right. And uh, so I thought, and you know, there's all this stuff going on with kids in the, uh, you know, all these shootings, these school shootings and stuff. So but depressing. I said so depressing. But you know what? That tends to be boys who are expressing their anger. Yep. Whereas girls go more inward. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's heavy, but it's also empowering, but it's really a psychological thriller because there are many twists and turns. That's what I was going to say for people who listen to this is is that it also it looks like it just looks like a good movie, too. It looks entertaining. So it, it seems to to your point earlier about <laughs> nobody wants to be preached to. It yeah. sounds like it, this brings me this is a nice segue mm-hmm. um, to another film that you worked on um, many years ago, the uh, the Tibetan Freedom concert yes indeed so um i was because just yesterday you sent me a link to it and it was actually really interesting because a lot i don't know how if it's been a while since you've seen it i saw it back in the day when you did it i think i still have the dvd again somewhere in storage (laughs) um but um i was watching i was actually watching it with my daughter who's um almost 14 and one of the here's something that, that struck me right away is I remembered it. I was like, oh, yeah, my friend Sarah worked on that sort of concert film. And, and it is a concert film for the most part. Um, not even for the most part, but for a large part. But the way you start that film, and, and hopefully we can get a link so people can see this, um, is you show – it's all about the Beastie Boys and all these rock bands did a Freedom concert back in the 90s. And it's a documentary and concert film about that, but it's for the – Free Tibet movement and the Dalai Lama and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what was really good about the way you set that film up was you didn't shy away from you showed some of the violence that happened to them. I mean, obviously a lot of archival footage. Um, was that a? I almost think like even though today you can see anything on the internet, the, um, major news channels still don't show what's going on in Syria. They don't show what's going on in Iraq. They don't show what's going on mm. in Afghanistan or even in Venezuela. Like right. maybe like Vice and channels like that do, but. May, it's it's still like this this American sort of fear to really be honest. Your movie covers sexual uh, exploitation, suicide. These are hard things for mainstream media to um, to talk about. So I, I it, it seems like that's a recurring thing in your work is to expose what's what's really going on and not shy away from the <laughs> tough stuff. Is that is this, fair to say? What is the rating on this radio show, by the way, Bonnie? It is rated B for Barney. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'm, we're, lo- we're looking into Can what I- we have to do when this explodes. Did I did I just drop an F bomb? I don't even no, know. No, no, no. I, I was, so I was just going to say I'm a dark bitch, Barney. Yeah, yeah. No, go go for it. it this is not going on. Uh, again, we're like we're not going to shy away from the truth here, too. So I there just uh, if you wanted to speak about that because I, sure. I thought that was a really really interesting. I I think partly uh, for me as a filmmaker, uh-huh. I'm. European, obviously, by my voice, but uh, I think there is there's nothing to be gained from sanitizing violence and sadness and ugliness. I think looking at it square in the eye is actually a way to you know put light on something, heals it. Um, You know that sounds kind of really pompous, but 
there are terrible things that happen in the world. We need to talk about them. Yep, if we don't yep. talk about them, there's illness. It's in our society or it's in our lives. Festers. Or in our bodies. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about that shit. Well, and again, with, with uh, hashtag like, I can always say hashtag, mm-hmm. it, it seems like you're also covering um, you know, sexual exploitation and sort of misogyny and stuff, which is obviously a big thing in today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, just again, to relate that to the film that I just saw, the, the Tibetan Freedom Concert, um, obviously you had to work with the Beastie Boys pretty directly and Adam mm. Yauch and stuff. Mm. When their first record came out, and I don't know if you know, they did a concert with a big phallic and stuff. I remember we were like, oh, these guys are just frat boys. They're, they're kind of uh-huh. full of shit. And it was funny, is like then through the 90s and then through the Tibetan stuff that Adam did, you, you saw them change. They grew up. They grew up. And, and what I want to ask you about, like, so you did this film in the 90s about um, the problems you know, uh, social awareness for like political problems like Tibet. And now you're doing uh, a movie that's more about, you know, sort of specific homegrown um, raising awareness about problems we're having here. As far as, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, activism through art, how do you think it's changed from like the 90s to today? Because I think there's some things about it that are stronger and better and get a lot of that in social media, but there's some stuff about it where, do you, does that, as a filmmaker, let's mm. try and keep this about film. Yeah. Do you worry about the fact that now people are kind of more in silos and there's people who are just going to go see comic book movies and entertainment and then there's other people going to go see films like yours that are a little mm-hmm. more serious and challenge them? Mm-hmm. Like, Well, my film actually is, uh, it's a little bit of a uh, Trojan horse sort of movie. Right, as we were saying before. I've, I've which built, I love. I it's, love that. A, it's a genre fit picture. I made... Because when I wrote this movie, this was just before the big Me Too wave, just before Weinstein and everything, and I was just an angry bitch who was just like, fuck this, I'm out of patriarchy, I'm out of here, I'm out of this bullshit. I'm going to make a film that talks about all this shit, but I'm going to wrap it in a genre, noir, thriller, slash horror. Not really horror, because there's no blood gut score, but I wanted to wrap it in something that people would want to just see as like a crazy movie. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's weird that it's all kind of coalesced into this moment but um i guess i just wanted to say it's a very genre film yeah yeah so it's not something you know i know that like we say it's not preachy it's not no and i'm presenting it with all this backstory but if you don't need to know anything about it you can just sit down open open the uh entertaining you know open the curtains of the film and you watch it and it's a story of this girl trying to figure out a problem and she goes off the rails and does something really crazy. I literally can't wait to see this movie. You're getting me very excited about it. But it's interesting because I feel like today, almost the only way to put a social message, and even some of the good major films do this, um, is to kind of Trojan horse it a little bit. You know what I mean? Again, I think you did that a little bit in the Tibetan concert because I'm sure a lot of people bought that DVD or watched it when it was on MTV. Or it had a theatrical release, right? It did. It yeah. was uh, here in um, Broadway at 19th Street at the theater there. And then down in the village, uh, like East Village. Gone, did I go to a screening of it with maybe, you? Maybe that's where I saw maybe. it. Maybe. I can't remember. But I I'm sure a lot of people would go just because it was all these rock stars. Yeah. And, and then know? they were very smart. The Miller Rapper Foundation that um, Yauk and the Beastie Boys were a part of, they uh, helped fund... Um, those guys took the film on tour very smartly right. and they exhibited it in um, before their the Beastie Boys tour in the town every town they went to the week before oh, wow. they played the movie nice. so they played in like 20, 30 cities and the film played just before the movie the concert and, each and week and ho- hopefully took some of, the, some of the fans who may have just been like yeah Beastie Boys and like oh like yeah the-. think about this so I love that like I'm not even saying whether it's a good thing or a bad thing maybe it's a good thing that that now there, it's there's so much more media out there that you can get a good social message out to people mm-hmm. without it being like you know C-SPAN or mm-hmm. something. You know, well, you so, also have to remember, I think that you know when when Free Tibet was made, uh, it kind of wasn't fashionable to be political. Right. Like now it's fashionable. Kids are woke, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. Like I've always been very political since I was like a young girl. Uh, was always a feminist. Was always left wing. Was always engaged in politics. Um, interested in politics. And then I remember coming to the States and being here, you know. Um, like rock and roll. Yeah. It's just, just like, like body. This, this very, yeah. It was, you know, and not to say that, um, you know, the sensual sides of life of food and drink and partying. Yeah. You want all that. But uh, 
Did you have trouble with that film with the finance? Oh, I'm assuming the the the, the, the Adam. Oh, no. Yeah. So it was financed by people who wanted to get this message out. Yeah. So with, not even with the distributors, it was no one was like, "Can you start with the with the music and <laughs> well, not I, so much of the Tibetan stuff?" Was, right. No, none of that. It well, was. Um, I actually got involved because I knew Adam. We were friendly um, through some other people who were in the music business, some A and R people, and uh, he said, "Oh, do you want me to? Uh, d- uh, would you would you do this?" Um, promo because I told him I'd done promos right and he said we need like a little promo bumper thing about the free Tibet thing so I did it with um uh uh Tribe Called Quest oh right, right. so Fife and um Ali love. came down love them but I'm, I'm so old I still think of them as like a new school right? I know <laughs> like I still think Outcast is new and all the kids in my office like they broke up 10 years ago yeah, casual but, so uh, hot but I, I, I the one the one sort of performance I did not fast forward through was uh the Tribe Called Quest one well, that great. was an amazing performance. I mean, he's jumping off stage. It's well, the, you know, the backstory to that no, was please. that um, we're here for we, were fl- we were flying out to L.A., I mean, to San Francisco. They did it in the um, Golden Gate State Park, the concert. Right. And uh, we were flying out. And I was a big fan of the uh, that whole, you know, East Coast hip-hop vibe right, thing. Right, right. And have been Them, doing. Della Soul, who are also in the film. They're and, amazing. Yeah. yeah, because I've been directing music videos, mm-hmm. hip hop music videos. So I was sort of in that world a little bit. And, you know, for a white English girl, it was kind of fun <laughs> to be outside, inside. Yeah. Um, but so we're flying out, and then there are all these things. Tribe's going to cancel, Tribe's going to cancel. Maybe Dela won't come now. Maybe Biz won't come because mm. Biz Marquis in it. His, his one seems amazing. Good. He got the audience lit. As He's the, as crazy. The yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was fun. He so anyway, not the whole story, but yeah. anyway, so we're flying out and then we hear that there's this stupid East coast, West coast beef going on and that, uh, Q-tip's been getting all these death threats. Oh shit. I forgot. That's all part of that. Cool yes, stuff. That era. So we're like, Oh, well, should we not film this? Should we, are they, you know, like, are they going to perform? Are they not going to perform? And then Q-tip is just like, fuck it. I'm doing it. Fuck that. I'm not, I don't need a bodyguard. Fuck it. So when you go see that performance of him doing that, yeah. he is going out when he's been told by security, don't touch anyone, don't go in the front of the stage. Because uh, he jumps out. And we had, yeah, and yeah. we had people on the side of the stage checking for snipers on the sides oh of gosh. the fences because people were climbing fences. Yeah, and it was yeah, just, yeah. you know, it was post Timothy McVeigh, so they were checking people. And they right. were, that's what we have was to Was this joke. also after uh, um, uh, Tupac and Biggie were shot? Was it all like around that time I too? cannot believe we don't know you need to google that right away what oh, I know was it was that? after um, it was obviously after Cobain's death because yes. Foo Fighters yes. but, um, I, I can't remember okay. what year we should both know that because I'm not Biggie I'm a Tupac but um, we should both know that right we but should anyway. know that but, um, but yes maybe, I think we'll it was maybe we'll fix it and, uh, and in, I'll uh, fix, fix it in post yeah. Yeah, we'll I'll fix say it in post. 93 <laughs> 95 97 um, well, some podcasts like they have the laptop out. Like <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know where my phone's here. I, I, wanted, I wanted to have it so it's like you know because people don't talk face to face anymore. Yeah, That's yeah. why we were talking in the right. elevator up about you know, how you, I, I said, do, do you do pa- podcasts before? And you said, oh, I've done a couple phone in ones, and I said. The guy who who's helping me produce this, David Heller, shout out to David Heller, who's helping me make this happen. Um, he's like, well, Bart, if you can't get a guest, just phone them in if they're too busy or something. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like the whole reason I want to do that is because people like I'll talk to you on Facebook, I'll talk to like my cousins and stuff on the West Coast. Right. Um, we don't threaten each other. It's not a West Coast East Coast <laughs> thing. But it's just you know I don't think people talk to face face to face. It's right. not a really movie movie thing. But I think there's there's something to be. No, I think said about it. So it, it went on anyway, to get yeah. back to your to to uh, tribe. So yeah, if anyone movie. can get hold of that link, I, we have a really low res link I can put up. But uh, I want the whole movie of the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not. It's not a. It's not a bad link. Not too so bad. If it's public, I might. I think I'll it put is. it on the website. Yeah, I think along it with is. links to to. Uh, to the teasers, to, to the like film, and stuff. yeah. Well, but it that, was so fun. So yeah, definitely check out Q-Tip on that performance because he amazing. goes bananas. Yeah, yeah. It's a, just like, a great performance. Yeah. yeah, he's great. That's another, you know, another uh, artist who left us was Fife. His uh, yes, his partner. It's a great documentary about them. Have you ever seen that? The one that um, uh, Zebrahead did. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Zebra. I, I always said that that actor that. That White hip hop actor from the nineties. Yeah, was like everywhere. Yeah, and he was friends with the Beasties and yes. Third Base and all those guys yes. back in the day. But I heard that Tribe didn't like the doc. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I, I, I liked. It. I mean, it, I have to see it. It no, was I made mean, before Five died, I think too. Yeah. And, um, 
And anyway, so we'll talk about movies we like. Yes. Um, one of the things I do here on Mr. Movie Club is I always ask guests what their five favorite films are. And um, my producer made a point of, Barney, you should find out beforehand. My first idea was to have them just tell me as we talk. But he said, you find out beforehand and f- make sure it's stuff that you like that then you've you uh, both seen. Yeah. I think I've only seen two of your five. But the one that I want to talk about is um, Deer Hunter because I thought that was mm. a really surprising surprising take. That was one of my favorite films. We're close to we're both 29ish, right? Yeah. Um we're not 29. <laughs> or maybe she is. I'm not. I am. But um but I actually remember when it came out and I was a bit of a radical myself in listening to WBAI and stuff. Mm. And what's interesting is remember that film. This is way before obviously before today's wokeness before even the PC of the 90s. It was it got a lot of flack for saying they were stereotyping um the Vietnamese, because mm. you know, there's the Russian roulette and all that. Mm. I'm just not to jump into the politics of it, but that's kind of where mm. our conversation is going. Sure. I want to talk about other things about it that just make it a great film. But what I found interesting is that, is that I, at least my personal politics have changed to be like, all right, that may have been a stereotype, but what what I think that film was exposing was was war and conflict like that dehumanizes anybody, and like mm. it's about those people who were dehumanized. And I thought. You know, what's his name? Who's the director? I should have uh, Michael Cimino. My, Michael Cimino, before Heaven's Gate. Um, and I thought it was a great movie, but it was also like, it really, I thought he got amazing performances from all the actors, but I thought that specific point, which it got criticized for at the time, was misguided because I thought it really exposed how much war dehumanizes people, no matter, and you know, it shows how, obviously it was from an American viewpoint. Yeah. But um, well, anyway, I want to show up and have you tell me what you liked about it, because I love that <laughs> film, too. I know. I think that's all really interesting. And I was uh, I loved the challenge of like, what are your top five films? Because people usually say your top one or two or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, five. I was going to go 10 and then 10 was too much. Wow. Is yeah, five no, good? I, and I gave you nine, I think. Yeah, no, you gave end. me a few honorable mentions. Too. I know. I couldn't I couldn't resist because I started researching yeah. and thinking and um but Deer Hunter has always been in one of my top lists. Um and I wanted to talk about it because, you know, we're we're still a country at war with people yep. who are abroad. Yep. Um, you know, a little bit like the Romans, but and holding stuff down when we maybe shouldn't be so much. And crying about Notre Dame, which is sad and not about that big mosque in Aleppo yeah, that exactly. got destroyed. So or, or or the eight uh, African American churches that were burnt just a month ago. I they know. hardly got it. I only read about that because I was reading about Notre Dame. Right. So, anyway. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, by a deputy's son, you know. Right, right. And, um and they're trying to say it's not a hate crime. It's just it's uh-huh. ridiculous. Anyway, Said so that from yeah, my political podcast. But <laughs> dear Hunter, so three or four things just off the top that are amazing about it: Michael Cimino, amazing director; mm-hmm. Vilas Sigmund or Sigmund DP directed it. I mean, uh, yeah, DP yeah. was the director of photography. An he amazing, did all his films, right? Or did he do a uh, lot of yes. them? Yes. Did he do he, Heaven's Gate? He too? did. I think so. Gorgeous, an yeah. amazing, amazing, amazing DP. Yeah. Um, from uh, I believe Czech Republic. Um, yeah, and lived a long time. I think he died when he was 80 and he was shooting like a few years before he died. He's yeah. like an incredible human. Um, cast, De Niro, Streep, yeah. John Savage, Christopher Walken, yeah. um, and John uh, Cazelli, um, Meryl Streep's husband. And she did that film apparently because he was ill and she said, well, if I can work with him, I'll go do it. Wow. So they could be together and shoot together. Right, wow. Well, but wow. Um, the... I, Wait, she I, was actually married... He was actually married to Meryl Streep? Or yes. He, that's the guy with the dark hair, right? Yes. And he was also in Dog Day Afternoon? Yes. Oh, my... That guy's an amazing... I had he's no amazing. idea he was married to Meryl Streep. I did not yes. know that. Amazing. Um, yeah, he's... And... And, and the the other one you mentioned, John Savage, I thought, love him. And it's funny because I remember when I saw that, I said, "This guy's going to be a superstar." And of course, De Niro and um, Walken are the ones who went on to be superstars. And I don't know what he did much after that, but I thought his performance, especially when he comes back and he's in the wheelchair, mm. I actually wanted to see the film again last night to refresh my memory. He's but, so um, tender and beautiful. Yeah, oh, I know. it's it's just like really. And the guy who was the composer I just saw was Jürgen Kneiper or Knepper. So you did your research. I like who this. Who also composed for many German films, but he did Wings of Desire. Oh, wow. The Vin Vendors. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. He Great. did a couple of Vendors movies. Yeah. But yeah, an amazing, amazing guy. Um, 
but what I related to very much, and I, <clears throat> I think it's a great point about war dehumanizing everyone. Yep. But when I read about this, um, the last little bit of trivia is that I didn't realize this, that Chimino was brought on it later. Huh. Um, and then he rewrote the whole thing because it was supposed to be about a Russian roulette story set in Vegas. Wow. So the Russian roulette part of it was the original core story. And but it was he, not in Vietnam like no. it is in the movie. Interesting. It was built all – it was it like shaped all around that story. And I don't even know if it was Vietnam vets that were doing the Russian roulette or if, if it was a different thing. So he took a core of a script and just completely reworked completely it. Completely reworked it, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And it made me want to see if there's any biography or autobiography about him out there. Yeah. Like why did he do that? Who was he? Because what I really related I'm to – I'm going to go down a rabbit hole tonight. You just yes. sent me down. A YouTube <laughs> I, I know, that. isn't it dangerous? Yes. You're like that's why I don't have a computer here because then we'd, we'd never finish our conversation. <laughs> the but that's that's um, really fascinating. Yes. Well, so what I really loved about it was the element of working class people right. back then, young men. Yep. Um, and Pennsylvania, young, right? Isn't that where? Yep. Yep. And and my I don't know if you remember or know my mother was English. I was brought up mostly in England, but my father was Ukrainian American. Oh. And that town looked exactly like the town my grandmother lived in. Wow. And so I'd go from these holidays from England to this little, crazy, dark coal mining town that looked just like the town that these boys came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in this town, it's called Shemokin. And they had strip mining all around it. And on the top, the biggest slag heap in town, at Christmas, they put a big gold neon star. And it was just the most... It was wow. like a razor head. It was crazy. <laughs> Do you have photographs from that time? Yes. Oh, yeah, I'll have great. to show you. But uh, but what I loved about it was um, you showed that these guys, as in most war movies, fought for each other, yep. not for an idea. Um, they protected each other. And at the very end, it's so heartbreaking. You know, of course, there's the scene where De Niro doesn't kill the deer because he sees... Right, right. He sees it. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you'll by the time you get there, you will have forgotten about it. Yeah. But the scene it's not, where it's not part of the plot; it's part of the, the sort of the, the subtext. It's, it's and a the, thematic. The moral, yeah. It's thematic. A, th a moral thematic yep. moment. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the scene where they are sitting in the bar, um, and they're reunited, yes. and John Savage is in the wheelchair, and we see Meryl Streep's character, who has obviously been damaged by having this man come back to her who isn't quite right, right, right. Um, emotionally, the De Niro character. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a drink and they raise a glass for their friend who couldn't be there. Yeah. And they start singing God Bless America. Yes, 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 yes. <gasps> And oh my it's God, interesting. It broke my heart because I, I, I'm not a pay, I'm not a nationalist. I'm so, not into that. But you know what it was? It's something they owned. Yes, it was yes. part of them. Well, it's interesting. You know, I'd say it's not a political podcast, but we're, we keep slipping. <laughs> in. You can't avoid it. <laughs> can't right? avoid it. Well, it. You just kind of pinpointed what I think a lot of people were. Um, uh, what's the word? Should have had a problem. You know what they would say today is the problematic mm. part of it is that oh well, it looks like it's all about, and that's obviously from a viewpoint, you know, the script or whatever. Mm. You, however, Chimino re redid it was is about these people in the small town, um, and, and a lot of people might misread. If you just told them the story, you might be oh, it's like a really jingoistic, you know, rah rah American. It's like first of all, it's a very anti-war film, I think. And it's and, and and to your point, you know, I said, oh, the film talks, you know, kind of expresses how it dehumanizes the Vietnamese and these people. You made a good point that it, it they were specifically dehumanizes people in poverty or mm -hmm. or working in lower mm -hmm. the lower classes working in class. any country, yeah, working class because people, that's yeah. where you get the soldiers from, yeah, and and that's and and I think that last scene that you're talking about where they're uh, raising the glass and singing God Bless America, it it, it almost speaks to, you know, the times we're in now where a lot of, uh, how can we say this without sounding like a New York elitist, a lot of working class, you know, people, um, what's, what's the thing Obama got, got in trouble for? You know, like many, many, wearing, wearing a tan suit, maybe. No, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when he said the thing about guns and the religion, or, oh, and right. Hillary Clinton said the thing about deplorables. Yeah. And, and, and that, again, I think that's what makes the movie great, is that movie is about those people, and, and, and it points out that people who make sort of mistakes in following leaders and in, in, in ideologies that are actually harmful to them. They're kind of victims. And like we have of this course. thing now where, where you know, oh, you're just a stupid, you know, they call us stupid libtards and we call them stupid Trump voters. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. You know, if, if art can help 
stop the dehumanization, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. because the war and the politics dehumanize us, you know, from the get go. So right. anyway, I'm I'm getting right getting beyond my pay grade. Well, hey, but you know you're what I mean? Ab- and, and, above your pay grade, Bonnie. Well, I love the yeah, fact that you no, saw totally. the beauty in that, and and I think the best movies are all like. I mean, it gets back to the thing about you say your movie is about. It, it sounds like, and I haven't seen your movie yet, mm-hmm. but it sounds like like is about how someone not only is dealing with vengeance, but is also dealing with grief. Absolutely. And um, you know, I I have this new theory, and part of it is because, as you know, I've I've gone through stuff where I've had people in my family die. Is that I think all, if you, and maybe it's the lens that I'm looking through. It's all great art. It's about how do we deal with our own mortality? You mm-hmm. know, whether Absolutely. it's immediate. Or somebody in your family or something in the future or just, you know, so. Well, I was thinking that, you know, all art, I can't remember who said it. If it was, uh, was it Reich? I can't remember. Anyway, um, a great philosopher once said that, you know, all art is an immortality project. It's our immortality project. So we're trying to to live forever through talking about feelings because it connects us to everyone. Yeah, yeah. but um, one of the things I want to talk about in your work, both in uh, the, you know some of the work I've worked on, worked with you on, like commercials and music videos and promos and uh, and the Tibetan concert, is how much the technology has changed and how um, I'm assuming you shot uh, you shot your new film in on Alexa, I'm on guessing? Red Red on Weapon. Red. Yeah. weapon, yeah. And, um, you know, now there's digital technology and, like, I have arguments with people about, yeah, if you have the budget, it's still nice to shoot on film. I actually, I think the digital cameras are getting so... So good right now. So good. The one thing I will say is we really, you know, spent our budget on a haze machine well spent because the haze... Is that for smoke and yeah, stuff? Yeah, because now they have, you know, SAG-approved, healthy haze. It's not going to mess your lungs up. Right, and right, right. We used to, you know, burn cookies. They call them cookies. I don't know if you remember them. I remember the Roscoe yes. on a few sets. <laughs> the Roscoe's are gross. And yeah. then we would burn cookies, which is the cheap way you're doing a music video out at night and you want some some texture in the light. Like actual cookies? Like edible cookies? No, they're <laughs> called cookies. They're these weird, toxic things that everyone would be like, have black stuff up their noses by the end of yeah, the evening. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I shot a music video with the UMCs, I remember doing, burning these cookies. But um, the hazer adds texture to the light. Uh, how you, you lens, I mean, with everything, lenses. I used to think it was camera. It's, it's the lenses, lenses, isn't it? It's yeah. lenses. So I'm we still were... mostly an editor, but the, the, every time I'm on a set, when I'm, it's dawning on me. I worked on a job where I was on the set, and mm. the, they couldn't afford Alexa. It was a low-budget commercial, mm. and they just got a C300, mm-hmm. not to bore people with tech. But No, it's interesting. If I was listening, I'd like that. But okay. he, but what he said was the C300 can take the lenses that he likes, and like that was the big thing. And I did a music video with this guy where he had one of those Panasonic cameras from the early aughts, yeah. which, is, which had a fixed lens, and he would put a lens in front of it. Oh, interesting. This guy... Um, David Lanzenberg, do you know him? He no, was Chris, Christoph Lanzenberg's brother. Okay, yeah. His mm-hmm. whole family of uh, DPs, um, a lot of music videos and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because like, I noticed one of your honorable mentions was uh, a Phantom Thread, mm, which I loved. Gorgeous. I loved it almost as much as The Master. I thought The Master... See, I hated The Master. Yeah, I hated it. See, I, I hated it. I thought it was so self-indulgent. There were beautiful was. moments. It was. But like two... I, I can do slow. I can do self-indulgent. But that was just a bridge too far. The Master was... I, I thought it was a nice uh, examination of what we would call toxic masculinity so <laughs> maybe uh, you know maybe it almost romanticized it in a way mm. um, and I love Phantom Thread too but both those films I thought it was interesting just to keep in our nuts and bolts um, mm. thing they were both shot in 70 mm. I saw both those movies two times because I like Paul Thomas mm. Anderson and um, but I saw them both it, you know they would do like a small screening at the Ziegfeld or whatever in 70 it wasn't the Ziegfeld, but it was an, another theater that had 70 millimeter. Mm. And then I saw them digitally. Mm. And both times, I liked the digital better. But there's something about making sure things are analog. Like, even the latest Star Wars film, not to get into, mm. you know, pop movies. But, like, J.J. J. Abrams shot a lot of it. He shot that in film. Mm-hmm. And he shot a lot of stuff practical, mm. even though, like, a lot of 
George Lucas's 90s Star Wars mm. films were like all green screen and stuff. So mm. I don't know if you agree, but I find like, and you, you're, you're talking about the Hayes machine. I have a friend, Blake Sloan from Miller, Miller, Miller and Sloan is a uh, programmer now in Hollywood. And I, and I don't know, I'm, I want to interview him because he'd be a great guest. He would be great. But I ask him, I'm like, well, what do you do? He works at these big digital companies. And he's like, did you see Thor? And I was like, I, I think so. <laughs> and he was like, well, in scene 48, I wrote the program that gave us the haze that he walked through. Uh, which is really funny that you're telling me that obviously you shot it all practical. And Well, that's the thing when you're, let's let's be real too. If we're talking nuts and bolts, my film was a micro, micro budget film. Right. So you probably that, couldn't afford to shoot at 70 millimeters. Oh, <laughs> but. God, no. But, um, you know, you have to come up with like, how can you do stuff in camera? Yeah. And, you know, if you, the way you lens, we had Zeiss and Cook lenses. They're the best. Yep. Um, that's where you put the money, right? Yeah. Primes, yes, not zooms. Right. Um, and also we didn't move the camera a lot so we could use longer lenses. Nice. I wanted it to look very classical and very locked, you know, and like have low ceiling frame lines. So it felt like we were under pressure, pushed into the corner of the frame. and Because you know, almost in a way to help the story, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, because it's feels, this feeling of trapped, trapped energy. But yeah, there's uh, there are lots of different things you can do. But what I did do is I lucked out because a friend of mine who has a company called Work in Manhattan, a finishing company. I know them. Oh, uh, the great Jane Dilworth. Shout out to her. She hooked me up with a company called Free Folk and a, a colorist called Paul Harrison colored the film for me. I know Free Folk. I've colored there. I don't think I've colored with Paul. But Amazing he guy. Doesn't have, is he a British guy with dreadlocks? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, I did a commercial with him. Yeah. Oh, he's wonderful. He, really oh, I didn't know job. you worked with him. I did a commercial with him that was shot in 16. Oh, right. And he there we had to that. deal with thing that when they put it on to social media, if, we, if you didn't get compressed right, the grain got too grainy. <laughs> right. So that's another um, right. Issue. Film is uh, film is crazy. And the thing to do also to shout about um, uh, film versus digital is the amount of pollution that film causes. Yeah. All that silver going into the water table. Can't be healthy. It's not. It's not healthy for any of us. It's going into our water table. It's like loving to read the newspaper on a Sunday morning, but it's like, well, if you're not going to recycle it then you're just killing yeah. a tree to yeah. read about how yeah. Trump is killing the Film world. Film is very toxic. I've yeah. had my I had my years of sh- shooting 35 millimeter, very expensive commercials. I shot my Super 16. I shot all my 16. I've done my bleach bypasses. Oh, I've done those, my contact tricks. printing. Yeah, yeah. I've done my reversal footage. I fooled around with it. And all of that can be duplicated in digital. You know. Here's a, here's a, a, a funny sort of text story. While I was watching... Um, Free Tibet this morning. Mm. Uh, you had a little uh, thing, you know, little MTV News thing, mm. and the MTV News uh, open came up, and I was like, "Oh, I edited that." Ah. <laughs> and, and what's what's funny is that like a lot how I got into the business was not even though I did I studied film in school was but through video, uh-huh. and you know, you and I and MTV and all that stuff was kind of on the forefront of digital. Even though a lot of the promos and music videos were still being shot in film, a lot of the effects. And a lot of that stuff was being done digitally and sort of practically digitally, not all green screen. But like I remember, like it was um, oh, who was the the director John? Somebody was an MTV guy. I'm sure you remember. Right, 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 and right, right, right. I remember he like it was that typing thing. Right. Like, there was still green screen. We had to you know composite stuff, but like all the stuff was shot practically. You right. know, like and that's kind of what I'm getting at is that it almost doesn't matter if you're capturing it digitally or yeah. analog. I think what matters it's it's what you're filming and yes. how you're capturing an actual thing in the real world. Yes. That's that's you know. Although you know, there's this amazing thing now in editing that you probably do know all about called fluid morph, yes. where you can. Add frames, yeah. Add or subtract frames. Yep. So yep. if you have a actor, without it being jerky, yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like literally animating your frames together. Mm-hmm. So say you have an actor who takes a very pregnant pause. Yeah. And too, you're too like too pregnant. You want to get get move this along, move this along. Um, you can fluid morph those frames out so it isn't a jump cut. So it's just him still talking. Right. So I had a lot of stuff happening because we didn't have time to do extra shots and lots of coverage. And you know, in a TV show, you do your close up, your wide, your medium, your over, your over, and maybe a fifty fifty. Right. Or two cameras sometimes. If yeah, you and they have two it. and sometimes three on TV yep. shows now. Yep. Whereas we had our one camera, we had our one shooter, we had our one assistant, and we had our actors who only had X amount of hours in a day to do quite emotional, demanding scenes. So I was like, 
I can't tell him just like, come on, hurry up, let's do that faster. You have to go and massage that to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes with actors, you can go, let's just take the air out of that a little bit. But did you know that you were going to do this sort of post effect? Or, no. or is it something that came up in the edit room? It came up in the edit room because I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was thinking, I'll have to jump cut that or I'll go to the wide here. And I did have some coverage. I usually did like three three takes yeah the wide and i probably didn't shoot the whole scene in the wide just so i had an establishing and a closing and then uh medium and then a close-up so that seems like a great example of of using digital technology to help you get the performance you want as opposed to like doing a spaceship or an alien or something yeah i was reading an interview with the coen brothers and they were talking about working digitally they just did a next netflix film um did you see it the um it was actually pretty fun what's uh, it called uh Buster Scruggs, something. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, and he, they were talking about like you doing a western. Usually, you have to watch out because there's like an they they have to put they have to pick their locations really carefully because oh there's you know there'll be like a, an electric tower or something right. that doesn't fit. <laughs> Cell he tower. said he said now it's like oh yeah you know as long as it's not a complicated shot out. we'll just paint it out. Yeah, and, and they're in one of the I, I think it was Joel. I forget which one is the writer, mm. which one does more of the directing. But one of them was saying saying yeah it's a lot easier now. Like I kind of miss. Kind of creatively having to kind of having to uh, mm. to fix that. He goes, but I can't deny that it, it it makes it makes shooting faster. it makes getting what you want on film a lot a lot easier. Well, there's one scene that the guy uh, at Free Folk, who's an amazing uh, uh, online visual effects guy, Brandon Danows- Danowski. Okay, um, he. Uh, took a scene that I had outside a spooky kind of shot of the house and I had shot all the girls separately in a different house. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh God, I wish I had them in there. We're just going to have to suggest it by audio. And he goes, no, I can just put them in there. So he took them from one scene and put them in this other scene. And it's just like a couple of seconds. And it didn't look green screeny or digital or whatever. It looked great. It looked great. So I then, you know, anchored that moment, that, that scene. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. I can't wait to see this. So, uh, what what is? Let's let's start talking about um, wrapping up. Okay. But what is the? Um, where are you with the film right now? Are you doing the touring okay. the circuits with it, yeah. or is you just, have distribution? Or what's no, your... we're just starting just starting the festival run of it. Um, we're waiting to hear there is a uh, festival in New York City um, that will probably be premiering. It will will be premiering at beginning of June uh, in the next. I don't know when this will air. So it's June two thousand and nineteen, mm-hmm. um, and then later in the year we're going to be sh- going up to. Um, another East Coast festival. I can't say them now because I'm not allowed to. Oh, I, <laughs> but, uh, and then we're, still, we're looking for distribution. So I have a lot of sales agents and people reaching out to me and a lot of horror sort of distributors reaching out to me. But it's really more of a drama slash psychological thriller. Right, uh, right. It's like... I'm positioning it as a feminist noir thriller. And, you know, so we'll see where it ends up because I don't know. So if there are any distributors listening... Please call we me. You know, we will we will put information. Yes. You know, all the contact information. Great. So it's hashtag like, um, and hopefully we'll put. Are, are the trailers actually yes. out to the public? So we'll, we'll yeah, put yeah. a link to the to the trailer. Uh, free Tibet. Maybe we'll put a link to that sure. uh, Vimeo or wherever you found it's that. A, it's a vintage, a vintage feel good. You can actually movie. find it on uh, Amazon. You can actually buy the DVD. So yes, that's. Uh, but, but it's, not, I think not it's as a, a streaming. No, I think no. it's a collector's item now. It's, it's like forty-four dollars for it's one of rare, them. <laughs> it's a rare collector's yeah. item. So if you come across that, we'll 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 point you in the right direction, and um, check out hashtag like when it comes out. Sarah Porosik, thank you for coming. We whoop, good? Whoop. Yes. All right. Well, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that. That was Sarah Porosik, and that brings us to the end of. Mr. Movie Club Episode 2 um, If you want to pop me an email You can always email me at BarneyBarnBarn At gmail.com We have a Facebook page I'm pretty sure if you just search Mr. Movie Club That should pop up You can leave notes there And we'll, uh, I'll put advance um, Notices To stuff that's coming up Episode 3 should be coming out soon um, So that's coming up Um yeah um thanks for listening